the year is 1998, and it's time to review SummerSlam that emanated from Madison Square Garden, headlined by Stone Cold versus The Undertaker. Let's do this right now. It's time for your weekly fix of wrestling nostalgia when we look at wrestling's past eras from the Attitude Era. To the reality era. I'd like to think that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's dead, but the fact is, it's it's gonna get taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. To today. Here on the WWE Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining me. It's Wrestling Nostalgia Night. It's time to get in your time machines. Fire up your DeLorean, make sure your flux capacitor is in working order. Because we're heading back 22 years tonight. We're going back 22 years. You know, when I was writing the description of this show, I was like, oh, that was like about 18 years ago, 15 years ago. I don't know why I think the 90s were like 10, 15 years ago. Every time I look at it, I'm like, whoa. I don't know why I am just stuck in that time frame of thinking it was only that long ago. But it's 22 years since 1998. And a time where wrestling was at its peak or just about to peak. And really reached its climax, I would say, in terms of viewership and mainstream uh, mainstream attention. From 1998 through probably 2001, 2002, and uh, has since really steadily declined with, you know, some peaks and valleys, but overall um, has viewership has declined. I mean, I, I think some of that is due to cutting the cord. I don't even have cable. I haven't had, I haven't had a cable subscription probably like five years, maybe more, probably more than that. And so you know the numbers are counted differently in terms of viewership. Ratings don't mean what they used to when cable TV was the only way to consume pro wrestling. Now it's streaming on demand. It's the network. It's YouTube that really I think hurts WWE in some ways but also helps it get really get free advertising. I mean WWE has millions and millions of subscribers on YouTube. I think like it might even be like what is it like 50 million? It's something insane. That they have on YouTube, maybe 60 million subscribers on YouTube. So, again, this was its peak, starting to really, really peak now as we look at 1998 in the world of WWF and WCW, which was also kicking its ass. I mean, for lack of a better term, this is where WCW uh, really started to kick it in with the NWO. WWE, WWF at the time, was full steam ahead with Stone Cold Steve Austin, followed very, very closely by The Rock. And we're going to go through the lineup here and uh, not just focus on the main event. I don't just want to touch on Stone Cold because I feel like I do every single Nostalgia Night. And we'll certainly get audio from that match, and I do want to talk about that match. But I want to go through the card a little bit more than I normally do. Typically, I will focus on the main event. In this case, I really want to kind of dive into each match that uh, that was on the card. So that's what we're going to do tonight. And uh, we've got some voicemails that we're going to get to in just a minute, too. You guys have been flooding my voicemail lately, which is pretty cool. And uh, I had somebody from the Philippines last night call in. Man, that that's I did not know I reached that far. And so we've got, uh, so I think it was a couple callers that are regular call-ins, but I think I got somebody new on the line, too. So we're going to get to those. I hope you guys are enjoying that, by the way. If you want to participate, I'll give you the call-in number in just a minute. But first, I'd like to welcome you to the show. We are a seven time a, seven times a week show. The only show or the only day we don't actually produce a show is Monday. Uh, that will change this coming Monday because of SummerSlam with the review coming on Monday. But normally, Monday is the only day. You may say, well, how do you have seven shows if you don't produce if you don't uh, deliver every day, well, we have two shows dropping on Thursdays for AEW and NXT. So that's that's why. And also this Friday, if you guys didn't know, you should know, we have Anthony DeMarco starting his own show here talking about past rivalries. And he will be debuting his show here on Friday. So two days from now. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. 
and let me know what you think. I, I have high hopes. I know you guys are excited. Many of you have reached out and let me know that you're looking forward to it, and uh, I am too. So, uh, first though, I do want to let you guys know that outside of our regularly scheduled uh, programming, for lack of a overused phrase, we are going to be again on Monday doing a co-show with the Botch Guy on YouTube. Which, by the way, give the guy a, sh- uh, a, a a like, give the guy a subscription on YouTube. Probably one of the best YouTube channels if you like wrestling. It's he is very current. He doesn't wait to give you his reactions. And it's very high energy, but authentic. It's He's also <laughs> really funny, too. So check him out. It's the Botch Guy. And I'm encouraging you to do so also because I'm going to be a part of that show on Monday where we will be doing a co-branded show for SummerSlam, review for SummerSlam, which I'm really, really excited about. And on Wednesday next week, big week, I'm also going to be interviewing Chris Van Vliet. So... He is, if you don't know, one of the most well-known um, interview interviewers in the wrestling industry. I mean, he's interviewed MJF, most recently Kurt Angle, Darby Allen, Muhammad Hassan. That one really drew me in, Muhammad Hassan. Uh, and uh, if you don't, again, I will be doing a podcast on him in the coming weeks, just on his career, short-lived but hot as hell. One of the hottest heels WWE has ever had, and I'll be doing a a, a whole show on him, but if you don't know, guys, check out Chris Van Vliet. I mean, uh, he is one of the most well-known guys in the in the industry, and uh, he's interviewed Bully Ray. Uh, he's interviewed Austin Aries, Ryback, John Cena, Tyler Breeze, Dolph Ziggler, Heath Slater. Right, so the list goes on and on and on, and has uh, had a very, very, very successful run thus far. So. Checking him out because uh, he'll be on our show on Wednesday to talk the product, the current product, and what he's doing now and how he got to where he is. I'm really excited to talk talk to Chris, and I'd encourage you to check out his YouTube channel and his podcast. He does have a podcast, so check that out as well. All right, let's get to your voicemails. Let's jump into the voicemails, and then we'll get into the nostalgia. I want to make sure that you guys get a voice on the show, so let's do it. Let's uh, let's take the first batter up here. Hey, this is uh, Jackson. I'm coming in from... Uh Illinois, actually, and um, I actually was just, well, I just started listening to the podcast around the time of, uh, around after the Horror Show at Extreme Rules, and uh, I like it a lot so far. I uh, listen to it every day when I go on uh, go on walks in the morning, and um, I think I actually just recently got back into the WWE and watching the shows and getting caught back up in the stuff I missed. I actually... Uh, I stopped watching it around the time of late 2018, and then I watched WrestleMania 35, and I'm like, all right, um, yeah. I tried to get myself back into a few times, but didn't really work. I was pretty interested in uh, what was going on, considering the no fans, and well, I got myself uh, back involved in it. So uh, one thing I was just asking a few guys, I wanted to know your guys' opinion on this, Um how do you think, say, we still are dealing with the issue with no fans around the time of uh, October? How do you think they will handle doing the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view? I mean, obviously, we've got – you can't fit a cell or even a steel cage, for that matter, in that tiny performance center. So, I mean, I know we've got that Thunderdome thing coming out, and I'm interested, and I'm sure you guys are too, to see what, what happens with it, but – I just wanted to see what your input was on how WWE is going to handle that um, Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, you know, come the chances of no fans or we can't, I mean, you cannot just have the virtual fans there because, you know, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. But I just want to know your guys' thoughts on that. And uh, that's it. I hope you guys have a great day. Hey, Jackson, thanks for dropping a message. I believe that is your first one, so thank you. And it sounds like you're a relatively new listener. That's really cool. If, <laughs> it's funny that you say that you got back into wrestling during the pandemic when people were leaving in droves because of the pandemic and you yet are going against the tide and 
<laughs> just seeing uh, out of curiosity how they dealt with it. And then you stuck around out of all times to stick around. <laughs> you stuck around during the pandemic. So uh, I think if you can make it through the pandemic and no fans, you're probably good to go once we start to evolve into a normal life again. Um, and so to answer your question about Hell in a Cell and a cage match or anything like that, well, I'm, I'm going to give you a real simple answer. And it looks like WWE has moved their production to the Amway Center in Orlando. So it is a just it's a huge arena. I mean, it's it's your standard, even bigger than a standard arena holds probably more than 20,000 people. And it could certainly hold hell in a cell. Uh, that's for sure. Now, do I know how often they're going to be there? Are they going to be there every single Monday Night Raw and SmackDown? I would tend to say probably not every show uh, because, well, it costs money to be there. And if you have to be there, you're paying this, the, the rent to be, to be there. Yeah, there's no fans, I know, but I don't know how often they'll be there. I, I would think semi-regularly. Maybe it's full-time, but they have that option now, and they're certainly going to exercise it on this Friday SmackDown and with SummerSlam being the Thunderdome thing, and I guess Vince seems really excited about it, and it's going to be a big fan experience. I'd still love to know how the hell he plans on bringing actual fans in. I mean, if there's a delay in connection or if it's just stock fan footage, I, I don't know. But they are, and I've said this last night, to actually bring live fans in. How are they selecting those fans? Right? <laughs> Who gets to be those lucky ones to be on the massive board? Or is it just, you know, you have tons of people there, but there's like 10,000 little squares or 10,000 little pictures of people there with no audio. I mean, I, I don't know how they do this. I really don't, but um, I'm sure it'll be in a very risk averse way where you wouldn't give the power of live television or on your network fans, the ability to sit at home and scream profanities or say, or do things that would not be, in WWE's best interest, let's put it that way. It's, there's just too much risk there. So I don't know what this all means, but long long answer short, they have resolved that issue by using the Amway Center in Orlando, uh, short drive away, to be able to accommodate pay-per-views at the minimum. So that's the answer there. All right, let's move on to our next voicemail. Hey, this is the Waz again calling on... Uh Monday Night Raw, it was pretty good. It was interesting. It was different. Um, I didn't care for Drew getting interrupted, but it's okay. And then only a couple other things I want to mention. Um, this underground, Raw Underground, it's just, it's just a hardcore deal. That's all it is. They're just trying to make it and put it in a different setting, which is, I guess, it's fine. It's just... I don't know. I, I, I'm not loving it. Um, the end of the show with HBK coming out, it was totally predictable. Totally saw it coming. Knew one way or the other he's going to get RKO'd and then punk it. Um, him not really selling it at the end. Um, I, I wonder if that was because HBK was like, I'm not going out like the rest of these guys. Uh, like in real life, he was saying that to Vince. And I'm going to act like uh, I can take it a little bit. I want to walk out on my own. I want to don't want to go out on a stretcher. Plus, I think if uh, he did go out on a stretcher looking like like the world was ending for him, possibly, his career was over, never going to see him again, like kind of like everybody else has been played off, um, people will really be expecting Triple H to come out. And I don't think Hunter wants to come out and do any of that. Um, but... Then again, maybe he will anyways. I don't know. Just uh, throwing it out there. Plus, HBK did mention something about uh, giving him uh, a super kick. Uh, so, I don't know. Maybe uh, he's planning on being a SummerSlam for some vengeance, no matter what happens in the match. And then, just regarding the men's uh, tag team, you know, everything that's going on with Selena Vega and the Street Profits and... I mean, just everybody. Um, maybe it'd be better if they just do did what they they've done with the women's tag team and just have one tag team that floats between all the shows. Um, maybe that'd be best. 
maybe that would make the competition a little more exciting. Um, yeah, it gives two guys more work because they got to be between more shows, but it seems to work okay for just a thought. I'd throw it out there. See what you thought. Have a good one, guys. Hey, Waz. Thanks for contributing as always. Uh, so you bring up a really good point. I'll get to that in a second. Quick thoughts on HBK getting kicked. This has been tossed around all over the internet from what I can see and people talking about how HBK no soul to kick. And uh, that, you, you know, you you may be right that HBK thought that, hey, you know, I'm HBK. I'm not going to go down like the rest of them, nor, or, or I shouldn't go down like the rest of them. But I, the only thing with that is that doesn't sound like HBK of 2020. It sounds like HBK of 1999, um, but it doesn't sound like HBK of today that is probably more concerned about a Bosley subscription than uh, than being able to protect his character. Um, and in, in those that didn't see his hair, I mean, look, I shave my head too because like my hair ain't the best. It's just easier anyway. But my oh my, if anybody caught that angle of Shawn Michaels with the camera behind him, it if you didn't know that that was Shawn Michaels in the ring, you would have been like, who's that old guy in the ring from behind? I mean, he has a really, really <laughs> bad hairline. I understand why he shaved it a couple of years ago at um, the Saudi event, the infamous tag team <laughs> DX versus the Brothers of Destruction tag team event. Uh, so I get it now. As bad as that looked, this looked even worse. So I would take the bald head. Uh, but... Yeah, I don't think it's ego. I don't. It, it may have been that it wasn't clear that you're supposed to lay there, and you have to lay there, on, you know, for X amount of time. He laid there, you know, for a little bit, and then kind of popped back up a little and sat in the corner, dazed. So maybe either a he wasn't instructed to do that, and he's following exact orders, and he executed it exactly the way he should have. B he misunderstood the direction, or the direction was wrong, and he should have just laid there longer than he had. Maybe he actually got clipped. And he's actually dazed. I don't think that's the case, but it's, I guess, slightly possible. Uh, and yeah, but here's the thing. I think a super kick is in the future of Randy Orton, as well as a uh, a lot of other finishers and hopefully blood on the way for Randy Orton. I mean, he's it's deserving at this point. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the no sell. It was weird. I mean, Big Show, who's an active, semi-active competitor, you know, was knocked out cold, laying in the middle of the ring. Edge who's in better shape than any of them got knocked out cold HBK to no sell it. It was weird. If, if he was instructed to do that, it was just flat out weird. So um, yeah, I don't know. And H or triple H returning. Yeah. There's been rumors of that, but I don't know how you do that to triple H who's part of the McMahon family running NXT and that it, it, it creates a spider web of, of, of things that you have to then be concerned about. So I don't know how that's going to work. Maybe it'll just be ignored by triple H. Last thing about the floating tag team. I love it. I love it. I think that that is, that's something I never even thought of because it's working really well for the women. That's because, well, frankly, they don't have a whole lot of women's tag teams <laughs> to have brand specific women's tag teams. I don't even know if you could <laughs> based on how many women's tag teams there are. And Vince has never been high on tag teams. That's never been his priority. Never. And you know, when you take that into consideration with the fact that they just basically made a joke out of the Raw Tag Team Championships with having the Street Profits be more concerned about, you know, throwing javelins and throwing bowling balls down in a bowling alley. I mean, just stupid, stupid stuff. Uh, they certainly could consolidate belts and have a floating tag team. I would be all for that. And you know what it does automatically, mathematically? It automatically makes that championship mean more automatically because you only have one between the two brands and there's really no brand, brand split anyway because people float all the time between brands with no explanation none none uh so i mean stephanie mcmahon set up that tri-brand battle royal where oscar won and the winner would get a shot at uh at bailey's championship well how does that happen if they're tri-brand why even why even have a brand split I'm going to get a rant. I can feel it. So I'm going to stop. But I love the idea. I would do that if I was WWE because it's really just, I mean, you have it on Cesaro and Shinsuke. That's kind of forgotten. I thought they would do more and they haven't. And yeah, they're on the street profits, but they're not even talking about the tag team titles. They're talking about who poisoned Ford uh, Montez Ford. And it shouldn't be about that. And unfortunately it is. So put 
yeah, combine the belts, do a unification match, and have one team float. Because you're absolutely right. Great idea. All righty. We're going to get to our last voicemail here. And then after my response, we're going right into the uh, wrestling nostalgia with SummerSlam 1998. So here we go. Hey, Matt. Jim in Westchester, New York, just calling to follow up on my call from a couple of weeks ago regarding SummerSlam. Before I get to that, I just want to say I've been a fan of pro wrestling, WWE in particular, since WrestleMania 4. So in that time, I think I've kind of figured out the formula. If you watch the Raws and Smackdowns leading up to a pay-per-view, WWE leaves you little breadcrumbs, little clues along the way that I'd say 75% of the time... <clears throat> tell you exactly who's going to win a match and i like that formula and sometimes i think vince changes things at the 11th hour uh things are too obvious or he wants to shake things up so you can never really predict for that but for the most part they leave you these little nuggets and if you just follow the breadcrumbs i think you could tell what's going on before i get to the main event i want to talk about retribution <clears throat> i like this idea of it being these independent wrestlers coming in and trying to take over where I think WWE made a mistake with the WCW and ECW invasion angle back in 2001 was, yeah, we had the Monday Night Wars, but I think they overestimated their fan base that everybody was watching Nitro. And they didn't realize a lot of their fans had no idea what WCW was. And all of a sudden they're showing Booker T defending the WCW title against Buff Bagwell. And they're like, who are these guys? And why does that guy have rick flair's belt from 10 years ago uh so i think the little breadcrumbs they're doing here with these independents all of a sudden if you notice on the wwe network last week they released these independent shows or icw evolve etc i think they want you to familiarize and i don't think that's i think that was by design it was not an accident they want to familiarize you with these guys and I do think they have to have current WWE stars in there as well, especially their leader. Who could that be? I think Aleister Black, big guy from the Independence. When was the last time you talked about him on your podcast? Guy's been MIA. Austin Theory, less than a year ago, this guy with the Evolve World Champion, uh, gets kicked out by uh, Zelina Vega, goes to work with Rollins, is beating up Dominic and Rey Mysterio. All of a sudden, he's gone. Where has he been? But they still need a big guy for their leader. Uh, so I think I, I think they can't screw that up. That's that's the big payoff here. Moving on to the main event. Um, again, something's off here. Uh, Drew McIntyre. This guy was on every week after beating Brock Lesnar, fighting, defending. When was the last time this guy's fought? Right. I mean, he defended against Dolph Ziggler, and every week he's just been coming out a little too late for Ric Flair, a little too late for Shawn Michaels. He's having talks with Rand. Hey, Jim, I know you got cut off there. Uh, you actually exceeded the limit there of three minutes. Um, so I, I, I listened to your other one, and, and uh, in the interest of time, I'll just kind of condense it. You made the case um, that it's got to be a big name that is the leader of Retribution. Got to be a big name, and I agree with you. Uh, you made the case for independence and that uh, some guys from the independence could be brought up and sh you know, sh bend the, be the face of Retribution. With WWE purchasing Evolve and ICW, yeah, they uh, they certainly have a much larger candidate pool to pull from. But with an angle like this, typically you don't involve new stars. You involve existing stars that you know that you uh, at least have some kind of history with instead of a brand new person that some, you know people may be apathetic to going, eh, who the hell's this guy? Like, I'm not interested. I don't know who he is. I think you're right. It could be somebody big and your voicemail that didn't we didn't hear that again I'm condensing for those that didn't uh is uh and it's another three minutes. <laughs> uh but no, I, I do appreciate the call, but uh I I have to just choose one or the other. Um but I would say your pick of Drew McIntyre being the leader of retribution, with him coming out, as you said in your other voicemail, coming out a little too late to save Rick, a little too late to save HBK. Is that by design? You could absolutely be right. If it's Drew McIntyre, that's a big name. That's a big swerve for getting retribution on WWE. I mean, he would have, you would think he'd have a, a reason to do this. 
I mean, he got fired from WWE, but I think the stronger argument against it would be that he spent so much time building up his his goodwill with fans, and it's been successful with him as champion. And Raw certainly needs its top baby faces. We already have a top heel in Randy Orton. We have a top heel, a white hot heel in Randy Orton. We have a top heel in Seth Rollins, right? Like we in Retribution, which are heels that are floating between all brands. I mean, so to me, the, the, the case to keep Drew as is is stronger than it is to make him a head, the head of Retribution because you would be left with a gaping hole of, of a, a top babyface spot that is desperately needed. So, uh, but thank you so much for the voicemail, um, and it is much appreciated. And uh, I know that you you also mentioned Alistair Black or Austin Theory as possible candidates. I totally agree. Like they have gone off the radar, so definitely keep an eye out for that. That is absolutely possible. So, thank you for calling in, and thank you to everybody. I know this segment is a little bit longer than normal, but I wanted to get to all the voicemails in because you guys take the time to call and voice your opinions. And I want to make sure you get heard on the show. By the way, that number to call, if you'd like to do exactly as you heard, is 518-952-0247. That's how you call. Leave a voicemail, and I'll get you on the show. Again, try to keep it to one to two minutes. The voicemail will time you out at three, which is what happened to Jim twice <laughs> in Westchester. Uh, so he had a lot to say, but very well spoken. And Jim, please call back. Thank you for uh, for listening and taking the time. All righty, guys, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get right into SummerSlam 1998 with audio diving headfirst into the pay-per-view right after this. Welcome back to the WWE Podcast. Let's get back to more great wrestling audio. All right, everybody, let's get to it. Let's get to SummerSlam 1998. This event took place, as I said... And as you know, in Madison Square Garden, and this took place on August 30th, 1998, again, headed up by Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Undertaker, and uh, the promotional poster, if you haven't seen it, was Austin and Undertaker tearing apart New York City, each with a weapon in hand, Uh, one, I think Austin has the torch that the Statue of Liberty was holding, and and, uh, Undertaker has uh, the Empire State Building in his hands, and they're swinging at each other. It's uh, pretty dramatic. You even see the World Trade Center in it. So don't forget, this is uh, pre-9-11. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, and it's funny. Anytime you see the, the World Trade Center in movies, you're like, oh, right. I mean, it's 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 sometimes tough. But uh, certainly, this was a, a, a worthwhile pay-per-view to discuss because it was not only sponsored by Stridex, for those of you that uh, were watching at the time, that this was a very applicable to. If you don't know what Stridex is, Google it. Um, it was a, it was a turning point in WWE because the Undertaker and Austin had never had a match of this caliber. They had uh, yes, they had programs before. They have worked with one another before, but not on this stage. Not with the stakes this high. And I will say that Undertaker and Austin. I don't think ever had great chemistry. Their styles just didn't mesh. For whatever reason, their chemistry, even their their promos against one another. I will say, and you know, normally I come on here and praise Austin and and, uh, and especially Undertaker, but together as as a pair, I don't think their matches were terrible. They just were oil and water. I don't know what it was. They never quite meshed for me. Um, so we'll get to that a little bit later on, but I want to talk about the undercard because this is important. And, and like I said, I'm normally brushed through this. Not tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to dig into this a little bit. So the first match on the card, and there were 11 of them. Don't worry. We're not going to go through every single one with audio and every single one, but uh, too much, which was not too cool, but too much, which was Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor. Not too cool, but too much defeated LOD 2000. Animal and Hawk, who was with Draws. So uh, I, I vaguely remember too much, but too cool to me was obviously the superior team. And that would evolve from too much. So uh, this was the early stages of too cool was too much with Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor. Uh, and Animal and Hawk were LOD 2000 and they were accompanied by Draws. 
who ended up you know, very sadly getting paralyzed um, and uh, was he can't move from the neck down. I mean, it's, it's a sad, sad, sad thing. But uh, this match, honestly, I, I don't I don't recall it uh, off, the, off the top of my head. Again, I have not seen this pay-per-view in its entirety. I watched snippets, of course, to get ready for the show, but I have not seen that pay-per-view in its entirety in literally 22 years. So, Gangrel then defeated Dustin Runnels in a singles match. Gangrel, I, I, talked, about, I talked about him a number of weeks ago. Part of the brood. Those that don't know what the brood is, the best way I can describe it is a modern-day True Bloods or Pick Your Vampire series. And uh, try to make that come to life. Like, that's what these these guys were. Uh, they were a trio of kind of demonic, but mostly vampire-like pro wrestlers. They had the teeth. They wore white shirts that accentuated the blood that they would carry in a chalice. They, they, they carried this blood in a chalice that they would drink, and it would then they'd spray it on their opponents. And uh, it was it was it was interesting. Edge and Christian were a part of this if you don't remember, but Gangrel defeated Dustin Runnels on this night. In the third match, we had the Disciples of Apocalypse, which were Eight Ball and Skull, with Paul Ellering defeating Bradshaw and Vader. How about that? <laughs> wow. Uh, if you don't know who any of these people are, by the way, you should at least know who Bradshaw is. You, you got to know who, it, it's JBL. You got, I mean, so there. Uh, Vader, you've probably heard of. I'm going to say that most of you that are new, if you're a new listener or new to pro wrestling, probably haven't heard of 8-Ball and Skull or Paul Ellering, for that matter. It's worth looking up Paul Ellering um, and really 8-Ball and Skull to uh, to see what see what they at least looked like and to see what their style of wrestling was. I imagine that this was a very hard-hitting hard hitting affair with uh, with all four of these absolute studs in the ring. The fourth match. D'Lo Brown defeated Val Venus by DQ for the WWF European Championship in 15 minutes. D'Lo Brown. Wow. Uh, D'Lo Brown and Val Venus. And actually, what caused the disqualification here was D'Lo Brown's chest protector that he continued to wear and tried to sell it as medically necessary when he really was using it to take advantage of his opponents and use it as a weapon. And I remember Val. I remember D'Lo Brown, who could shake his head like nobody's business. If anybody has seen D'Lo Brown, oh, I mean, it, if if I shook my head the way he did, I'd, I'd probably even just once probably end up in a neck brace. I mean, this guy had the most like f- just flexible neck muscles I've ever seen. So uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, or like who the hell's D'Lo Brown? Well, again, YouTube is a very friendly platform and so is the WWE network for that matter. Okay, fifth match in a handicap match, we had the oddities which consisted of get ready for this. Giant Silva, Golga, and Kurgan who were with Luna Vashon, Shaggy Too Dope, and Violent J. They defeated Kayantai. <laughs> Did you get all that? Did you get all that? Honestly, um, the, let me just say this. I was a I was a teenager, early teenager. I was like 13 years old when this pay-per-view aired. I was legitimately scared of Kurgan. Anybody else scared of Kurgan? He had the, I think his finisher was like the claw or the I, I, they didn't call it the claw. I, I I don't know what the name of his finish was, but Kurgan was the big man of the group. And uh, the oddities were kind of like the misfits, the outcasts, if you will. Hence the name oddities. They were like the island of misfit toys. If you watch Rudolph every you know Christmas on Hallmark or whatever, uh, and you realize just how awful it is actually, <laughs> which I know it's not. This is getting way off topic. But if you ever seen Rudolph, the the one that's like animated, that it's like the stop motion animation one, the really old one from like the sixties. The amount of terribleness. In that movie, as far as not the movie's not bad, but like, hey, uh, their his own parents were trying to cast him out and f- just hide who he was, and uh, I could go down the list. Uh, but this is basically the island of misfit toys, 
and uh, they were the baby faces here. And they defeated Kai and Tai in a handicap match in 10 minutes. So how about that? Yeah, I, I'm interested. To, I, I'd like to see that match again, honestly. I have not seen Kurgan in quite some time. The sixth math, match, I'll be able to speak, X-Pac with Howard Finkel. I don't remember that. Defeated Jeff Jarrett with Dennis Knight and Mark Canterbury in a hair versus hair match. Hey, how about that? Boy, uh, I did not do that on purpose. And yet, we have another hair versus hair match 22 years later. So, we have X-Pac defeating Jarrett here. So, Jarrett ended up getting his head shaved. Um, and X-Pac, I, Howard Finkel, I mean, that's that's pretty good. I, like I said, I don't remember Howard Finkel ever being in a match. But uh, that was that's uh, pretty interesting. All right. Edge and Sable defeated Jacqueline and Mark Marrow in a mixed tag team match in eight minutes. So this is post split of Mark Marrow because I remember very well the, uh, the dissension between Mark Marrow and Sable, because let's be honest. If you were a red blooded male, a straight male looking at Sable during the attitude era, let's be honest, right? Like you weren't there for her wrestling credentials. You were there for two reasons. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. And that's that's pretty much it. And uh, so her pair with Mero was an interesting combination because when they were together, I think they made a good a, a good uh, a good pair. But the thing is, Sable outstarred him because of I mean, let's be honest, her body, right? Like that's during this attitude era. That's what the women were presented as, and. Edge and Sable defeated Jacqueline and Mark Marrow in this tag, uh, this tag bout here. So, moving on, Ken Shamrock defeated Owen Hart with Dan Severn by submission in a Lion's Den match in nine minutes. Wow. Uh, so, this, yeah, I, I do, do remember this a little bit. Um, and in fact... Let me. Uh, what I'm going to do because I, I want to read this a little bit. I want to see exactly what happened here. Um, we had. Let's see. Oh, Shamrock. This is the last sentence of the um, of what happened. Shamrock broke free of the uh, a, a a submission that Owen Hart had on his neck by walking up the steel and flipping back over of the back of Hart, tripping him with a toehold. That allowed him to utilize an arm bar before applying his ankle lock that forced Dan Severn to walk away in disgust and tap out Hart. So, yeah, I, that ankle lock will forever remind me of Ken Shamrock. Forever. And I know that it's been used over many years with many different stars, most notably Kurt Angle. Um, we have Shorty G using it. I know that uh, who is Kurt Angle's son <laughs> or whoever thought it was. I can't remember his name. I haven't seen him in a while. Uh, the, the, uh, Jason Jordan. I think he used it as well. He might have at one point. But the fact is, I always think of Shamrock. Ken Shamrock was a guy that I, I loved how he would snap out of nowhere and do the belly to belly suplex, which I unfortunately mimicked many times and threw out my back like an idiot in high school. But hey, all right, moving on. The ninth match, the New Age Outlaws with Billy Gunn and Road Dog defeating Mankind in a no DQ match for the WWF Tag Team Championship in five minutes. And what was the finish of this match? Well, Kane was supposed to be his partner, but here's what happened. Um, Road Dog opened up a table and Mankind managed to reverse the Irish whip. And forced Gunn through it. After a double-team elevated neckbreaker, he suffered a double-team powerbomb through... That's Mankind. A uh, double-team powerbomb through two chairs. And again, this did not keep him down. Uh, a spiked pile driver onto the championship belt was enough to keep him down. <laughs> and then after, after the Outlaws won, they put him, Mankind, in a dumpster and closed the lid and... Uh, and uh, while the outlaws celebrated, the lid of the dumpster opened and Kane stood up, picking up a sledgehammer and throwing it down on an unseen mankind in the dumpster. 
Damn. So he got, he really, it was a three on one match here with Kane screwing him on purpose and then getting a double team, uh, handicap match. So, wow. And I think what most, what's most striking here is the spiked pile driver. That is no longer a move. And it's on the list of banned moves and, and for good reason, right? I mean, it's not that it's a concussion risk per se, like chair shots are, but it has a high probability of severe damage or, you know, paralyzing your opponent if one thing goes wrong. You know, I do miss the pile driver in general. I miss the pile driver. I remember Michaels and Undertaker utilizing it many times. Uh, it was a very effective, devastating move, dropping somebody directly on their head. But I'm not saying that we, they should bring it back because we have survived just fine with it. But imagine somebody doing a spiked pile driver right now onto a like a chair or a, a, a championship belt. I mean, you could still do it very safely. But imagine the imagine the the pushback. Imagine people exploding in WWE, especially the sponsors. I'm sure. And and you know, I, I get it. I get it. But I miss it. Anybody else miss it? All right. Moving on to the semi main here. We'll get some audio here. Triple H with China defeated The Rock with Mark Henry in a ladder match for the WWF Intercontinental Championship match. So how about this? How about let's let's listen to the finish of this match. How exactly did it happen? Let's uh, let's take a listen. So that's the the conclusion. It ended up being China with the difference. And boy, that crowd lost their minds when Triple H won. I had forgotten that Triple H was the babyface in this one and The Rock was the heel. That wouldn't last too long, would it? But uh, we certainly got a a hell of an effort. And and that match did bring back a lot of flashbacks for me because that to me was a it, it was a milestone victory, but a milestone match, even in a loss for The Rock, just showing what he's capable of reaffirming it on a massive stage and that these two had just, I mean, excellent, excellent chemistry. I mean, they've always had great chemistry. And uh, so Triple H ends up winning it here, winning the Intercontinental Championship and the crowd after 26 minutes still loses their minds. All right. And now we get to the main event. We get to the main event and the main event is Stone Cold Steve Austin defeating The Undertaker in 20 minutes and 52 seconds for the WWF Championship. And as we all know, Austin famously got knocked out early in the match. Austin, I mean, he's talked about this many times, but if you don't know, Austin went, uh, kicked The Undertaker. Um, Undertaker, well, let let me back up. The Undertaker whipped Austin into the ropes, Irish whip. He ducked down. Austin kicked The Undertaker hard. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, Undertaker flipped up, and as he flipped up, Austin was right next to him, and he caught Austin's chin, knocked Austin like out cold. Uh, he was out for probably 30 seconds or so, uh, to a minute, and uh, Earl Hebner had to remind him where he was and who, <laughs> uh, what he's doing. And I know that Austin said he was not happy with the way that the rest of the match went because he was very groggy. I mean, rightfully so. He just got knocked out. So uh, I would tend to agree with that. 
I mean, I remember watching it live, watching this match live, and thinking, meh, not, you know, not the most exciting match. And I didn't, again, I don't think they had great chemistry to begin with either, but it was not a sensational match. I think everyone was just like, hey, let's get to the stunner. So uh, let's listen to the conclusion of this match between Austin and The Undertaker at 1998 SummerSlam. So we had a, actually a bit of a baby face turn at the end of this, or at least a sign of respect. You don't see that happen too often. At the end of a big match, having the opponent stand up and hand the championship to the champion, that uh, almost never happens. Uh, I mean, we, we know what went on to happen with Austin and uh, Kane and Undertaker with, at breakdown that McMahon came up with a master plan and, and that whole thing happened. Um, that wouldn't be for some time, but... It, uh, I was very underwhelmed with the match. I was watching highlights of it today, too, and it, it's just, they're not sloppy. And yeah, Austin got knocked out, so certainly some of the fogginess is contributable to the lack of a, a high-caliber match that you would expect from two legendary performers like this. But sometimes things in styles just don't mix, and I don't think this style mixed very well, which is a lot of reason for also Jim Ross. Uh, talking many years later about why they didn't put Austin and Hogan together because they felt their styles didn't mix, which I think is a bunch of whole bunch of baloney because why wouldn't you want Austin Hogan? I mean, regardless of the quality of the match, it's about the, it's about the name whole household brands. Like why, you know, why would you not want that? But uh, nonetheless, we had, uh, he had Austin stun undertaker in one stunner. Imagine that folks. One stunner put down the Undertaker. We didn't have to have six kickouts of finishers. It's awesome when you do that and you actually finish a match with a, with a single finish, and you don't have to do sixteen kicks to the face and end up with just a roll up that ends up you know winning the match. It's just nonsense. Uh, but 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 uh, this this was a big moment in the really the career of both Undertaker and Austin headlining SummerSlam in the biggest arena in the world. Uh, or at least most famous arena in the world, as it, the saying goes. So, I, I you know I enjoyed it for Austin retaining. I'm glad they didn't have a long-standing program after this. Uh, it was Austin retaining as it should have been. The one thing I'd nitpick that I didn't nitpick at the time, this was not a no-DQ match. Why the hell did Austin uh, low-blow Undertaker and get away with it? Yeah, I would have gotten I would have gone off about that. Um, but also, Earl Hebner was the referee. And Earl Hebner, to me, is one of the best referees, if not the best referee. Why do I say that? For a position that is all but invisible to most people. He had a personality, number one. He called things down the middle the best he could. I know he had a few with Triple H at one point in the early 2000s. But 
his count, the way he would count the three was, I know it's simple. It sounds stupid, but the way he would count the three would make things better because it would heighten the drama. He didn't have a short, quick uh, one, two, three. It was literally three seconds as it should be. Today's three counts, I can guarantee are less than three seconds if you did the stopwatch. Earl Hebner, just the pace in which he would count the three is such a small thing. But those microseconds in between each time his hand hits the mat are magnified as wrestling fans because every moment you're thinking, kick out, kick out, kick out, kick out, right? So small thing, but Earl Hebner, I think, was the best referee, best counting referee, and really best wrestling personality referee of all time. So, um, alrighty, well, that's the show tonight, guys, with the Wrestling Nostalgia. I know I, I front-loaded the show a lot with the voicemails, and I, I you know, I, I, I want to get those in, um, so I don't want you to think that, oh my god, he, you know, he, he basically catfished us with saying he's going to talk about nostalgia, and, you know, the first 30 minutes of it is voicemails, but I think it's important to get those in. I really do, um, but I, I want to make sure that you guys are heard, and you can also participate. So make sure you send us the voicemails. I'll get you on the show and I'll be back on Saturday with your official SummerSlam preview with a co-host to be determined. I'm working on that as we speak. I have someone in mind uh, and uh, we'll see if they can come on the show for the SummerSlam official official preview and predictions. And then, of course, Sunday, I will be watching the pay-per-view and uh, try to find somewhere I can maybe I'd say tweet with you guys, but I can't. Uh, so maybe I'll, I don't know what I'll do yet, but I'll, uh, I'll try to do something. And then on Monday, of course, is our, uh, co-branded show with the botch guy on YouTube. So you're going to want to check that out and uh, I'll be taking the audio from that and putting it on this feed. So, all righty guys, that's the show again. Tomorrow is AEW and NXT Friday's the debut show of Anthony DeMarco's wrestling rivalries. So you're going to want to. Tune into that as well. If you love audio and you like a lot of it, this is your place to to be and to stay. So give us a subscribe on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you can. Follow us on Instagram at WWE underscore podcast. If you want to get rid of the ads, patreon.com slash WWE podcast. You know the website too. So that's enough plugs. That's enough of the show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. As always, talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the WWE Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show or head to wwepodcast.com. And for all of these shows ad-free, head over to patreon.com slash WWE Podcast. Until then, we'll see you next time.